Welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast, where we like talking about paddling and life and a little bit of everything in between. In this episode, we got a chance to talk to Jeremy Vane, a fellow paddler and all-around awesome human. If you've been in the stand-up paddleboard or yoga worlds for any time at all, you may have met Jeremy. This guy's positivity is so infectious, and it was great to chat with him for a little bit. So please enjoy. Let us know what you think. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and share the episode. So here it is, episode four. Welcome to another episode of the Wicked Aloha podcast. Today, we are talking with Jeremy Vane. He is a stand-up paddler, a prone paddler, a yogi, a surfer, a wakeboarder, a hockey player, and a modern-day Peter Pan. So welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast, Jeremy. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Honored to be here and uh, stoked, to say the least. So let's just start. Um, you're from Massachusetts. That's where Patrick is. That's where I'm from as well. Um, we both have our own stories of how we got into stand-up paddleboarding and uh, kind of that whole world. So what what is your story? Before you start, this is the first ever all-mass hole Wicked Aloha podcast. That's actually, actually, I'm a wash ashore, but that's cool, man. We'll just go with it. <laughs> Listen, you know, you got three mass holes. Anything can happen now. That's right. It's true. Yeah, my story is kind of a little bit interesting. I had no connection to surfing or that side of the industry until I was in my 30s. And I've, I've had m- many failed attempts at surfing through 18 to 31. And I just, I always loved the idea of it, but ocean surfing was definitely never happening in my world. And um, I basically was moved to Orlando to pursue a career in wakeboarding. I had no idea what that was going to look like and was excited to see where it would take me. And I fell flat on my face and picked, it was like right in the beautiful recession of 2009, 2010, and waited tables, sold real estate, fixed up houses, every possible job that we do when we get into that place. And um, a good buddy of mine that wakeboarded and trained with me or trained me was like, hey, man, you need to try the stand-up paddling thing. I was like, nah, dude, I'm good. He's like, no, please. And so I went out and was legitimately bored out of my mind paddling around with like 10 people. I was like, this is never going to work. But I needed a job, so I kept doing it, and then... Basically, it was like I turned into strictly a job of teaching people how to paddle. And I was like, hey, it's water sports. Indirectly, I'm in the water sports industry. Let's see where it goes. And what happened was I got brought to a race um, over on the basically the east coast of – it's like a town called Port Orange. And I really had no idea what the Battle of Paddle was. And it was the summer. It was like August of 2011. So it, I haven't even really seen what that was. And the, the gentleman ran a basically donation-based $10 paddle around out through the surf, um, and it full-on turned to a glassy, like, dreamy Florida summer surf session. And it was probably, like, as the BOP always got, like, we go, we're delivered these waves. And I caught, I'll never forget my first lap, I caught a wave into the beach, totally riding right foot forward, and I'm, I'm regular foot, so left foot forward. And I was like, this is the raddest sport ever. <laughs> and... I got hooked and vowed never to compete. Like the, they begged me to go to this event. I'm like, I do not want to compete. I'm so done with competing, you know, cause I chased 
sports growing up and you know I was fortunate to play collegiate hockey and then wakeboarding even in my late 20s and early 30s I was still competing uh, I was like okay I don't want to compete I just want to have fun with it and then at that point I was like no way I'm changing plans we're competing and I started racing my first bigger race uh, Chase Kostulitz had over on the Tampa Bay side and it was like an eight mile race in October and that was kind of the kickoff of the season and that was it nice what is the uh what's the professional wakeboard world look like man sadly i think all the water sports are in the same kind of capacity that we are it because of the uniqueness of the sport and the amount of money that's involved you know the pro tour kind of is dispersing very similar to what's happening stand up yeah. uh, you know and if you look at the boat prices you know you're the top of the line boat's 170k plus. Holy crap! Yeah, I was gonna say I thought it was 100 grand, but that's a lot of money, man. That, yeah, that, that's a big buy-in. <laughs> it's a massive buy-in, and never mind the gas tank. You know what I mean? And what my biggest deterrent was was I was spending 200 a week back in you know 2009, and I was like, I can't afford this. You know, like you want to go, and then if you want to learn a new trick or really, you know, a contest is coming up, I was spending more money, and that's just on fuel. Just on fuel. Damn. Well, five-gallon gas tank got you a 20-minute ride. Wow. And then you need someone ride to drive the boat. Yeah, exactly. Wow. What about the cable park scene? Was that anything? or? It started to develop and get some legs, but it just didn't – it never really got me. I just loved, you know, growing up here in a small lake in Massachusetts. Like, all I knew was the boat, and the cable was good, but I just wasn't feeling getting hooked off the obstacles like that, you know? And I guess really there's no wake when you're on the cable, right? No, it's all generated, very kiteboard-like, where you spring load, and it's actually a really, you can still boost and do some of the radical maneuvers, but it's just a different concept, you know? It's like park snowboarding or park skateboarding, street or freestyle or any of that stuff, you know? Wow. So, are you still racing stand-up? Yeah, you know, and sadly, due to the, the amount of events that, you know, we could focus on, I, I kind of raced this year least than I've ever raced um and I think it was okay it kind of is reinvigorating the spark to get back into it um I've ironically trained more this year than I've ever trained but it was more to stay fit and it was kind of like an eye-opening experience that almost brought me back into you know where the sport actually came from like just staying fit because of riding on a stand-up paddleboard so you can do I can go snowboard at Killington or I can go surf a a session in the Caribbean or, you know, whatever it may be, or shoots paddle shadow jack. So yeah. it, it really blossomed into that. And I mean, I did Carolina cup. I did a couple races in Puerto Rico, um, a couple races in Florida. So I, I did a fair share, but I was averaging like one to two races a month. You know, I was probably 15 to 25 races a year during my heyday, which is a lot. Damn, that That's is a lot. That is a lot. Especially when you start adding costs up. If, if is your home base in Massachusetts still? It, it is now, but at the time, you know, I was in, I spent a good tenure down in Southern California. So some of those trips are easy. And then I spent some time in um, Florida. So it started off, it all started in Orlando. And basically it was like a year I got introduced in 2011. And a year later I moved to NorCal and then basically did five years on the West Coast. And then just did the last two winners in Jupiter and the one before in St. Croix. So. I was just down in Jupiter. That's a pretty sweet town, man. It's a special place. You ever go to that little turtle sanctuary there? Uh, yeah. It's, uh, uh, that's, that's some big ones in there. 
that whole place and what they're doing it, it Jupiter's a really special place, the way they kind of give back to the community and they embrace all aspects of, you know, fishing, outdoor, yeah. I mean, there's mountain bike, there's everything. It's a pretty special place to be able to visit. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So when you were, uh, I don't remember the years kind of blurred together, but you were climbing up the ranks in the, on the, of the pro circuit there pretty good, man. What was the highest uh, you ever got in the rankings, if there were rankings at the time? You know, in the early days, I did a lot better, um, obviously because the talent pool wasn't so deep. I mean, the guys are just – I think I made – cracked the top 30 um, nice. thanks to some performances at the Carolina Cup. I think I might have had a top 10 back in the early days of Carolina. But then as, you know, that peak year of like 2015, 2016, that could really – you know, the, the town pool was so massive. I know. It's just insane now. Yeah. It's, it was a good run. It was super fun. And, you know, I had great companies to work with. So it, it was a good, especially in a, you never would think being over 30, like you could actually kind of head into an athletic career. You know, typically most people are on the way out, but. I know, right? Yeah. With all those young kids that were coming up, you know, a few years ago, it was like they're, they're young, they're fit, they're fast, light they had kind of everything going for them so guys like us were just kind of really easy to pass <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was awesome to see you know i was fortunate i worked with the paddle academy right there in dana point you know my guys are uh you know you ran that program and, and i was that was my training group you know and the kids oh. at the time like tyler basher was super young i mean i don't even know if he's 14 and then um jade housen was young shea Foudy. You know, that, those are my training partners, and Dang. it was radical to be able to see those kids progress through the years and, I mean, now stand atop of podiums in a lot of top races in the world, so. Yeah. So, so now that you're, you're getting older, um, and I guess just how has your training progressed over the past few years, um, you know, as you made your switch from wakeboarding to stand-up paddling and now... Um, you know, as a mid thirties, late thirties, uh, athlete competing, just kind of how has your training evolved? It's got, a, I've been a lot wiser, um, for lack of better terms, you know, the aspect I, in the beginning, I didn't really know what to do. Like I came from hockey, so we trained for 30 second bursts, you know, was never an endurance sport. So I had no idea. I was fortunate to have some friends that kicked me some books to read over, but I still never comprehended you know, the endurance aspect of it. And it wasn't until I was living in San Clemente, I got to work with a really good guy um, and Foundation Fitness. And, and Ryan was running the gym there. And he really started to open up my my eyes to like 45-minute intense workouts. You know, he, he created this thing called Adult PE. And it was a hit workout. And, you know, I was working out with Chuck Patterson and Izzy and Giorgio Gomez. So you have a talent pool like that. And it, the workout's whatever level you want to push. And so it kind of taught me that less is more. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as it, my time got kind of less available, I realized like three to four days a week of paddling and training was, was awesome. And I mixed in a couple other days of recovery and all that stuff, but I didn't have to be in the water seven days doing four hour sessions and kicking my body to the butt, you know, like, and so I started integrate different work aspects of yoga and this was right around the time I kind of, in 2014, I became a certified yoga teacher. And so I was all about like the power, you know, and like trying to figure out how to stand on my hands and 
every workout was just a grind and gnarly, but then I just was never resting and never recovered. And so it brought me into yin, restorative yoga. And ironically, I turned 40 this summer and I felt the, like, you know, the help of, I worked with the guys on the Paddle Monster and Travis Grant, you know, has been an amazing coach and just, he was a main reason I ended up doing Shadow Jack and his and program. You you did yeah. uh, Jack Crone, correct? I did, I did. How was that? <laughs> well, we'll, get, we'll get back to that. <laughs> we'll get I'll, back I'll, to that. I'll sidebar into that one. But, yeah, so, I mean, my training evolved, and, and the beauty of it, and, and where we can get into that is I was training four days a week super hard, and I wasn't doing paddle. I think my longest paddle I did all summer was two and a half hours. I would catch the wakeboard boat. I had a guy out here that was an awesome human. He would go by with his kids wake surfing, and – I would just pick up his wake, and when the kids would fall, I'd continue on my training route. And then, I, so I was surfing and learning all that stuff out here in Lake Monomonac all summer long. Training became fun, super fun. And uh, what I saw with the competition side, I was like, I don't want to turn Chad Jack into something it's not. And it's not about who's the fastest, it's about who has the most damn fun. And I, I saw myself going, because I was paddling really well, and I was stronger than I ever felt in, in a while, like probably ever. And I was like, okay, I'm going to ruin this whole experience because I'm going to go there. I'm not going to eat barbecue, macaroni and cheese. I'm going to put all this pressure on myself, you know, to chase down Larry and Danny and this, you know, guy that came over from Europe. And, you know, obviously at the level I was at, I'd be grateful just to hang on to Larry. But I already saw my mind going there, and I went down to Florida to visit with a good buddy, AJ, um, AJ DePhillips, who's a ridiculous prone paddleboard lifeguard um and we had a, about seven thousand modellos one night and i looked at them and <laughs> <laughs> fully told him that i said hey man i said i'm gonna do this thing on a prone and he goes and we exchanged a few f-bombs and he said yeah you are and i called joe bark the next day and joe was like 100 percent, you can and i leg- that was the first week of october holy so you essentially had two and a half weeks to get used to paddling a prone board and grinding through Chad Jack. Yeah. And basically before that was, I think my longest paddle was a mile on a prone board. So we went out, we did two miles and then I went out with my buddy and he caught me how to surf, you know, catch bumps. And so we did three miles and then, you know, my friends at surf tech hooked me up with an inflatable and sent it out here. And, I started paddling inflatable on Lake Monomonac and just do up and backs. It was about 35 minutes an hour paddle. And the longest as I rolled into Chatterjack was four miles. And I felt really good because I didn't, the four mile paddle, I realized just like stand up paddling, just like everything else we do, like once you broke through that 15 or 20 minute mark, the mind stopped creating the story that you're going to drown and die. Like then you just started paddling. It was all good. So I just, took everything I knew in stand up and I was like, okay, dude, just get to those points. Every 20 minutes, you're going to, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to want to quit, break it. And that's legitimately what happened. And we all made a plan to just cruise through Chattajack. And when we got to Chattajack, we went out in the water and it was ironic. Like we, Gemma Bark came out and which is Joe's daughter and Joe was there and Chris Aguilar and Joe Scatoro. So there's a really good crew, AJ and Chad Hinckley. And we all had, you know, we're just kind of all on 14s and Gemma was on a 12 and Joe was on 12, but um, the, the horn went and it was like the switch in my brain didn't realize I was on a prone board. And I, 
charged it because all those guys are in front of me. And then I just started surfing bumps. And I remember looking down and seeing seven and a half miles an hour. And I was like, I haven't done seven and a half miles an hour on a prone board ever. Wow. <laughs> and it was just screaming surfing. And I was like, oh, wow, just surf. And stayed that pace. And it was the funniest thing ever. Like at seven miles, AJ come back. Like AJ was like 150, 200. Him and Chad were just cruising. And they come back to me and they go, hey, like, you're kind of cruising right now. Like, you might want to slow down. We're only at seven. You have a bunch more to go. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he's like, okay. And freaking <laughs> put my down and away we went. Six hours and 43 minutes, I crossed the finish line. That's so, that's um, pretty respectable. That's uh, super cool. Considering like four miles prior to that. And, you know, I stopped and enjoyed it. I stopped at the pothouse and chatted with, you know, Neil Newton from Paddle Up Tennessee and a bunch of people. I was chatting with people along the way. Like, I actually enjoyed the race. I mean, I still paddled hard. And I was like, you know, this is what it's all about. You know, it's my personal adventure. It doesn't matter where you stand on the podium. It's all about just doing something. And there was some people that were like, you're out of your mind. You're not going to make it. I was like, been through this before. I'm going to show you. And there we have it. We're always there. So a couple of things. Um, I will I will disagree with you on the hockey players not being endurance athletes. Um, I, I I played hockey growing up, and practices that are two hours long, and then you go to school all day, and it, so it's it builds uh, that mental aspect of of life where you're just going to get the shit kicked out of you for two hours straight and then you still have to go to school or you've been in school all day and now you're going to have the shit kicked out of you um and 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 plus like it's not like you're just cruising for two hours you're actually you're, you're skating pretty hard and um yeah you know you are you are training for short bursts but um when it comes down to it like when you're doing a a hit workout, um, a high intensity interval training workout. It's not like you're, you're going all out for 45 minutes straight. Like there's, there's certain little rest areas where you get to get, get your breath and everything. And it's just like, it's just like a hockey game. You're going for a minute straight then you get, you know, 30 seconds off and then you're back on and you're going for a minute. And, and so you're, you're building a type of endurance there. So I'm going to disagree with you on the hockey player thing. And then, uh, I, I definitely agree with the fact that, you know, you don't need to paddle as much as everybody thinks you do to really be that distance paddler. Um, before our Yukon 1000 race, I think my longest training session was maybe two and a half hours. Yeah. Maybe. Um, just paddling with the canoe team I'm on here, our workouts tend to be an hour to an hour and a half with um, one longer workout a week. That longer workout being two to two and a half hours. And that was the basis of my training leading up to UConn. So I, I completely agree that you don't need to be training and grinding on the water as much as some people think you do to be at that those high mile endurance races because you're just it, it it builds up and um a lot of it a lot of it's mental i mean having never been on a prone board and then just 
oh, I'm going to just paddle Chattajack on a prone board. That, uh, I think that, that speaks a lot to the, the mental aspect of how you approach uh, whatever is put in front of you. So, You know, when you bring up a valid point, like in, when I said as a hockey player, it doesn't, it's, <laughs> it, the, the workouts are just so different, you know? So like, and at that time, and I, and I was young and didn't really, and I, when I say young, I was young into an endurance aspect, you know, like hockey shift is 35 seconds. You know, if you're out there for 45 a minute, your your coach is going to be all over you. So it was mentally, but you hit the nail on the head, to get up at 5 in the morning to go to a cold rink, which is pitch black, especially here in New England, we have that lovely thing. It does build that mental strength, that mental fortitude, you know, just like the ice baths, you know, and that's what gives you that ability to, and, and I got kind of yelled out training, it, but I, it resonates with me, like, to suffer. Like, who can suffer the most? Can you suffer? And I, I remember... Um... It was Danny Mongo. Do you know Danny? Very well, yeah. Uh, uh, so he called, what race did he call a Sufferfest? Or or was that, uh, I think it was in reference to the Yukon 1000. No, that, uh, was, uh, that was Rod Price. The, Rod, Rod, Price. Okay, Rod yeah. Price called it a Sufferfest. Uh, but yeah, it's just a Sufferfest. Um, so... And then the coach doesn't put pucks on the on the ice, and you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> or he puts them at the center and tells you to fill them with snow because you didn't listen, you know? Like, <laughs> the ultimate tease in your face, you're like, but they're right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, what's, that's interesting on the, um, the suffer thing. You guys kind of connected on that point of, um, I guess, through hockey, but... It's, it's a pretty cool thing, right? I mean, you, there's so many, you hear so many people, especially at Chattajack, where you see it in the forums and you see the people talking about, it's like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do it, you know? And I, I think if people realized it's, that it is re really just a mental game, like I, I always use the analogy of, it's like somebody saying like, oh, I can't swim a mile, but okay, say you were in off the beach in California somewhere on a sailboat and you fell overboard and the sun was going down and nobody knew where you were and nobody picked up that you fell off the boat. It's like, are you going to say, oh, I can't swim a mile and just breathe in some water and end it? Or are you going to just swim to the beach? Same thing. I don't think people realize that they have a lot more in them than, uh, than they give themselves credit for, man. And I think that's the beautiful thing about doing races like Molokai or Chad Jack or these big ones is that, you know, people say, oh, how do you train for it? And you hear a lot of, you know, it's a Yukon, it's, well, let's do the quest first, or, and then Molokai, it's like, let's go relay first, and right. we brought this up in another episode, but my philosophy is, is just go in, man, just try it, and what's the worst thing that's going to happen, you, you mm -hmm. get injured and, and check out, you know, but, I don't know, no, something it's, cool. it's a beautiful thing, and that's the whole aspect of it, is when you put yourself in the position of there's only one outcome, which is success, yep. become successful, if you go and you Hem and haw and read. And that's one of my things that inspired me. And I don't mean it in a, in a derogatory way, but people by saying you're crazy, wow, that's a wicked challenge for you to get out there and paddle Chattajack. You've never done it. Like that right there alone is actually the worst thing anybody could ever say. Because if you're not mentally strong, you're like, or you're having a bad day, you're like, shoot, what am I doing? I should pull out. This They're right. Like I didn't train. Yeah. And what I started adapting, I was like, I am as fit as I ever been. Like I can do things that yeah. I want to do. And yes, have I not paddled this craft accordingly? No, 100%. But if I get into trouble, 
then I'll assess the situation accordingly. Mm-hmm. I have all these people around for support. And what really got me going when I was holding up a good pace, I looked over at a bunch of people that weren't super fit, that were just having the time of their life paddling. And I'm like, that can be, this can be done because you find your pace, you find your tone, you get out of your head and you just take in the, the valley and that's the best motivation in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think is that, go ahead. I was going to say, I think as New Englanders, we have a leg up on suffering than everybody else just because uh, it's kind of ingrained in us just to suffer and right. just do, do what we're told and get through the winter. And Yeah, tough but, enough. Uh, I broke that cycle, so... <laughs> and now you're wearing socks in the hoodie of Maui. Oh, I know. What a softy. Um, it comes back. So uh, you guys mentioned ice baths. You guys... I know Will's been doing a lot of those. That's something you dive into too? Yeah, I had a friend. Uh, basically, she put a post up and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I know why the ocean and, and the lake are so... I have tools. You know, my whole thing when I moved out, when I made the decision to not do the snowbird life this winter, I was like, yeah, okay, I need to find something that's going to allow me to stay active and busy. And I was excited to not paddle. You know, I bought all my, my cold weather gear. And when I saw somebody go in the ocean and like late October, I was like, aha, I got this. And I started going into the lake and the water temperature was 34 degrees a couple times. And I was, had no idea what I was doing and coming to find out you're supposed to be in the 50 to 60 degree temperature range, but you can go briefer. But it was all mental. What I learned and and even how to get warm is if you have the steady breath, you know, and, and Wim Hof does a great job of explaining it. And obviously the guys at, and gals at XPT do as well. But like when you're out there and you're pushing yourself through that mental just hurdle of cold water, like 30 seconds goes by and I stopped looking at the watch. I just sat there and I got the 10 minutes and I was like, okay, now I know how Wim Hof runs miles and does this because all I focused on was my breath. Every ten minute, 10 minutes and 34 degree water. Yeah. With air, like 25 my hair was frozen. Wow, that is amazing, man. It's too extreme. Like I learned that, and I studied on it, and I broke that, and I stopped. I do. I legitimately do three to five minutes while the lake's frozen, so I'm gonna have to wait till we get safe, and then I can cut a hole in it. But you know, the the three <laughs> to five minute. Aspect. Yeah. Wow. My experience. I'm sure yours is a little different with the beautiful weather you got, Will. But uh, yeah. So I I started experimenting with ice baths last year a couple of years ago and i was just doing it occasionally um because you have to buy the ice and then you have the post-consumer waste of plastic bags and it was just i eventually got to the point where i was like i don't really want to deal this deal with this anymore so i sold my tub and i i came across a video of a crossfit guy doing it in a freezer and so I said, well, that looks like a better way to do it. And so I started looking on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. Literally for the last year, I've been looking for a freezer that wasn't $450 that was big enough for a six foot one, 200 pound guy to sit in. To to clarify, this is a top lid chest freezer, right? Top lid chest freezer, correct. Uh, I think it's around 15 cubic feet. I'm not sure. This and, is the one with the top lifts up and you can look down inside. It's like a giant toe. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, I bought it and I got like five bags of ice, plugged it in, 
or fill it up with water, plugged it in. Um, if you just try to fill it up with water and then plug it in, you'll probably burn the motor out on the freezer. So that's why you need the ice to get it started because then the motor can actually catch up and not try to freeze this huge area or volume. And uh, it, so it took a couple hours and the surface had ice covering it. Um, and so now I just plug it in for a couple hours a day. I don't know what the temperature is. I'm going to actually get a thermometer now, or not now, today, and um, so I can see what the temperature is. But I'm in there for five minutes. I've, I've been doing five minutes first thing in the morning. Um, literally, I wake up, brush my teeth, and that's the next thing I do. Um, and Every day. I've been doing it. I missed yesterday because... Uh, I, I did I forgot to plug it in and so it wasn't wasn't as cold as it could have been um, but I also just wanted a day off from it um, but this the same CrossFit guy he wasn't necessarily doing it for recovery benefit it was more the mental aspect of it being the worst part of his day um, and so you know you, you wake up in the morning the last thing you want to do is jump in a freezing cold tub of water like that just sounds miserable and it he's right it's miserable like it, it's like i don't want to go in there so uh, there you know I've, I've read different studies about how uh, it's good for you or it's not good for you you know it's good for you because it reduces inflammation well it's not good for you because it reduces inflammation um, and so as far as recovery goes, if you're reducing inflammation, then you may be limiting the amount your muscles can grow and get stronger and yada, yada, yada. So I've been taking the, the idea of this is just a miserable thing for me to do first thing in the morning and it's going to make me more mentally tough. So when I'm faced with something that's not comfortable, I can be like, well, remember that time you spent, you know, five minutes every single day in an ice bath that wasn't very comfortable either but you did it anyway so just suck it up sally and do it so that's where i'm at with ice baths like a true mass hole <laughs> um so i'm with you but, uh, like that that was my biggest takeaway was the mental fortitude like to be able to go okay i was in here for 10 seconds okay now it's 15 now it's 20 you know now it's three minutes now it's five minutes and you know, that's how I got into it. Wim Hof had a post on Instagram that was like, if you can do a 10 second cold shower every day, you can do anything. And so that's how I started. I went 10 seconds and into a minute and, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that switching over to the freezer has been uh, night and day compared to when I had the galvanized tub. Uh, it, it seems like the baths are so much colder. Um, I remember I sat in my when I had my just my tub the longest I sat in there was close to 15 minutes and now with the freezer I'm I'm checking the timer to see if I'm at five minutes and it's just it's pretty painful um you know all the extremities are painful when you get out everything stings um it's it's the next level of intense as far as what I was doing with ice baths. So it's a good progression. The cold, and this is what I learned the last time. Cause I legitimately was taking, I was timing how long it would take me to get warm. And 
I finally, in my last ice bath, I did here. I just came out of the water, changed all my clothes, put socks on, dressed up like I was going to explore the Antarctic, and I sat in front of the pellet stove with the hot air blowing at me and legitimately <laughs> just did breath work. I did pranayama, yoga breath, and within probably less than eight-minute meditation session, I was back to taking off all my hoodies, all my stuff, and that's wow. what started to really tap into the power of the breath, you know. That that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I know... I haven't been doing that. I've just been putting hoodie and sweatpants on. And it's, it literally takes me hours to feel warm and normal again. Like my, my core is just yeah. straight cold. And so maybe that's my next progression is to just work on my breath work afterwards and continue that meditative breath um, and continue that morning meditation so I can get back to normal a little bit quicker. Before, during, and after the three my biggest takeaways that I've learned, and legitimately, I take a foam block so it's comfortable. I pop it down. You know, you're in Hawaii, sit in the sun, you know, and then the breath out the nose and in the mouth. That's the whole key. Like, so the not, sun not isn't the up yet, usually. Not the other way around. Mm -mm. Wow. Because the ujjayi pranayama breath is through the nose, right? So that's you've got to bring the air in and. They're actually doing a lot of this studies now, and it's been one of my main focuses of research lately, is breathing. We should always be breathing through our nose because of just the, the pure, the pureness yeah. that we do to the breath. And yeah. as athletes, and even as, you know, I've been talking more, like people going in for a business meeting, you know, negotiation, mm -hmm. if your mind's scattered because you've been mouth breathing on the drive-in, someone cut you off or whatever, like you're not going to be at your game to, yeah. to nail down this big meeting. And that breath work, even it takes 60 seconds, but in the nose, deep, deep. So, and what I tell most people is focus on your exhale. If you exhale all your air out your nose, I promise you it's gonna come back in your mouth or in your, in your nose. Like, it, so the exhale is so key. So big exhale out the nose and then you'll sip it back in and just always try to keep the exhale longer than the inhale. So. Yeah, have you, have you read that book, The Oxygen Advantage? I have not. I'll yeah, have I heard, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. There, there was, and I, I heard Laird, Hamilton referred to it in uh, something I, I was listening to him on. And I guess there's something in the nose breathing that it creates nitric oxide or something, which allows for better oxygen uptake for your blood cells. But it's interesting with the yoga breaths too. I mean, obviously there are different, different types of breathing for, for uh, different, you know, like sports or, or like getting your body back to temperature, but it's pretty fascinating, man. It seems like it's, it's the people are just starting to discover. I mean, the yogis had it figured out a thousand years ago, but with all this science and, and athletic stuff now, it seems like it's a pretty fascinating uh, area of study. It is. And, you know, the other avenue, and I think that a lot of us don't look at is I, I stumbled into it, but, you know, the Navy, the Navy SEAL and the Army Ranger training, like those guys put themselves and gals put themselves in places that the average human could never even comprehend. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of the people that I've been reading and researching is all about the breath. And, you know, I kind of stumbled, we always did it through yoga, so I had the understanding, but my biggest thing, I couldn't hold my breath for more than 30 seconds. And, you know, surfing, I was like, okay, well, I need to change that. Like, it's not quite long enough. And all these little, and all, like, I started stumbling at these other benefits. And, you know, now my breath holds are longer. I'm feeling a lot less stress and mm -hmm. and that power of heating the, the body from the inside out yeah 
just as a side note, Will, there's um, there's a thing called the for your for your ice chest. There's a thing that you can get at brewing supplies, and people use it for uh, lagering beer. It's called a temperature controller. And what it is, it's a box, and one end is a male plug, one end is a female plug. And what you can do is there's a temperature probe that you can stick into the cooler, and then you set your temperature control at whatever you want. So if you want it to be like 35 degrees, then the, the cooler turns itself on and off by itself. It gets to 35, it shuts off. So you wouldn't even have to worry about plugging and unplugging anymore. You can go on Amazon. I was just looking on there. They're like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. I think I've heard of those. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're super cool. Yeah, I, I bought a, um, a timer like that you'd have for like Christmas lights or something. So I was going to hook that up just so I didn't have to actually keep plugging in, unplugging it just as itself. But that could be uh, that could be also a future purchase. Maybe Santa will will give you one this year. <laughs> Maybe. So so Jeremy, you mentioned XPT. Have you done any work with those guys? I didn't. No, but I, I crossed paths with somebody, and and she's been instrumental in introducing me to kind of what they're doing, and then obviously follow and read a lot of their stuff on social media, and yeah. you know just the amount of information out there. So I kind of bounce back and forth i've found a few like obviously laird and, and brian mckenzie and, and those guys all put out some really good stuff and um but i started really studying a lot more of the uh, the navy seal breathwork and which was really interesting to me because i mean those guys and gals are the epitome of a waterman right so a water person right. it kind of resonated with me in in that gnarliness and watching how these guys are transforming what they were trained to survive and now they're using it for you know motivational speaking and business development and helping teams that are on these really big you know projects whether it's wall street or real estate ventures like how it all transitions so you know the athletic endeavor doesn't end with sports like there's yeah. ways to, to utilize all these things into business i've, I've never heard of that dessert can you go into any detail just even on your knowledge of it or is there a resource out there that that talks about like a book or or videos on the navy seal breathing and or special ops breathing techniques and that yeah mind body green um online has a bunch of and i think it's mark divine is the guy that i started to to read and i uh, tim ferris has a lot of interesting different sources you know very similar like joe rogan asked but that kind of is what got me into it and i just started googling it and Obviously, it's different than the yoga breath, but it parallels. And one of the quotes he, you know, he put in there was um, talking about like the Buddha and the yogis. Basically, said the person that breathes the least amount over their life has lived the best life. And so it kind of like made me interested in it. And you know, these some of these guys like they take four breaths a minute. Holy cow! Yeah, That's not a lot of breathing. No, but <laughs> you know, he's like, I can take a breath for 55 seconds, you know, and that's, and my body doesn't need anymore. And so I really kind of got just a little bit excited about what we could do with that from, like I said, multitudes of, of different ways, you know, mm -hmm. and that's yeah. kind of what I've been tapped into. Yeah. I know that when, you know, in, in recent training, like whether it's in the canoe or, um, whether I'm doing CrossFit or my own workout here, that's the one thing you can always turn to is, is your breathing. So, uh, super important. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people like will overlook. Uh, I'll see other guys paddling or, you know, going through the CrossFit workout and their breathing just isn't synced up to where it should be. And as a result, they're 
they're falling behind. So, have either of you guys looked into any of the uh, the breath hold classes, like the performance free diving or the big wave risk, uh, risk assessment group classes? They're I think they're pretty pricey. They're you know four or five hundred bucks, but those you know the surf survival course that you take, where they they teach you you know they take you from classroom for a few hours and then. I mean, I've, I've seen some videos on YouTube of those guys. Of, like you mentioned, Jeremy, you could hold your breath for 30 seconds. And it's not uncommon where they, there's actually one that's, uh, the one that's online that I think has the most views uh, is a Red Bull one. So Red Bull takes a bunch of its uh, water sports athletes in there. And there were guys that couldn't hold their breath 30 seconds when they started. And first day they were doing three, four minutes. By the second day they were doing like almost five and they do this, you know, they, they take you and you, you go through the cycle of the diaphragm breathing or whatever it is. And then they thrash you underwater for a minute, you know, and, and they just get you used to those situations where you've got a set of 20 foot waves coming down on your head. And it's like, OK, what do I need to do here? And uh, to keep yourself from freaking out one and breathing in a bunch of water. Yeah, that's the huge. So it, um, I don't know if you guys know Morgan Hoshi, but Morgan has been. Yeah, a water yep. woman forever, I'm, you know. I want to get her on the show, actually. Yeah, she's and she'll so she actually has been running those trainings and she does stuff in Catalina and you know she's been just giving me little tidbits and stuff to work on and you know I, I like I just can't wait to get out there and do it because she uses the pool and she's been helping um, you know Jimmy and Lizzie Terrell's daughters with their swimming aspects so there's been a lot of really neat crossovers you know the beyond that for surfing but. Um, that's definitely a, the next chapter. And uh, Jessica Sikra, who's down from Florida, she, her and I were like trying to make one happen, and um, she just did one and down in the springs, and she told me the oh, exact no same thing. Yeah, she said it was so radical. Um, she started off very similar, 30 seconds, and then by the end of it, she was diving, free diving 50 feet. Holy crap! Yeah, so it's powerful stuff, and it's, it's all mental. The reality of it. Is. It is. I mean, you you mentioned it there when you were when you jumping in 34 degree water and just like, I, you know, I'm nowhere at the level you guys are, but just taking cold showers. And and there was one time last year when I think it was a little earlier, it was probably end of October, but I went and sat in the Harbor and it was, you know, if you can catch your breath and kind of get a hold of yourself and really just think it's like, okay, it's just a sensation. How do I suppress the sensation of panic? You know, it's a survival thing. Your body's saying, get the fuck out of the water, you're going to die. But And when you can suppress that, you're controlling these systems a little bit better. And that's, uh, this the whole conversation of breath is, is super fascinating, man. There's, I think there's a lot going on there. It is. And it, one of the things that happened to me this summer, so like we did, um, you know, through the yoga festivals, I was fortunate to teach with, and we were up in Squaw Valley, and they had, it was funny, like they got so much snow last year, they were just puked on. And the pond we do is basically all snow melt. So we, I got our anchor hooked on something on the bottom and it was 10 feet deep. I'm like, whatever, I'll go get it. And the water was so cold. I have no idea the temperature, but it was so like just breast stopping cold. I couldn't get my head below the water. And I was so bummed out. I was like, man, I can't, I can do this. And when I came back to Massachusetts and started messing around with the breath holds or the uh, cold water bath. Like one of the pieces was, can you go underwater and, you know, in that cold and hold your breath. And I, after like a, a long hold one day, I was in there and I legitimately went to the bottom, you know, and I was in like and a half of water, so I kept it super safe, but held my breath for 10 seconds. And wow. 
no shortage of breath, no like hyperventilating. And I, it was pretty mind blowing. It kind of flipped the switch. I'm like, whoa, like this little training that I've done for 14 days just changed the whole way to approach, you know, scenarios. And, you know, what it started teaching me, like being on the chairlift or being in the backcountry, like if, if shit goes down, like I feel now in a way better state of survival technique. And right. that was kind of a being back here in the cold and not being a snowbird and have my tan right now. It's been a really big help. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of guys in New York that this guy, um, I don't know if you know Jeremy Grosvenor from out of Montauk. Wow. But those guys a couple of years ago, they were training, and I guess there's a winter swimming championship out that way on Long Island somewhere in like January. They're in Speedos and like Gnarly. swim caps, and they're out there like swimming off the beach in January off Montauk. I've seen videos of it, and it's just, it just shows you. It, I, I want to say my impulse is to say that's crazy, but it's just, no, that's just training so you can, so you can get to that point where you can do it. And it's it's just, I love that kind of shit where people are just, you take this basic parameter set forth by society of, oh, this is what you're capable of and don't don't try to rock the boat. And then you're, you're sitting here telling us that you just went down in like basically ice water and held your breath on the bottom. And uh, that's just so cool, man. Yeah, and you, you like the to me, I think the, the beauty of it, and this is where we as a society, you know, is, and I'm always trying to do the half glass full stuff or overflowing. And, you know, if you look at a, a pilot that flies a 747, like that's crazy to me. Like, I don't want that responsibility of flying that big thing. But to him, it's an everyday or her, it's an everyday right. experience, you know. Right. So for those of us that if you go into any event with the proper training and, and due diligence, you're bound to be successful. And Absolutely. You know, it's having respect, and, and I think this is what the, the water culture has taught us, is you respect the water, you respect the snow, you respect the woods. Mm -hmm. And once you have that respect, yeah, shit can go off. You know, it can, the train can go off the track at rapid speeds, but if you're, if you're okay with it, you can get it back on. Yeah. Yeah, what are those, uh, they're like monks and so, or something in Nepal that could go, I forget what the name of the, the technique is, but they'll put on a wet blanket and go sit in the snow and dry the blanket with their body heat just through breath work and meditation. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even heard of that, but that's, you know, it, it all makes sense now. Like I said, watching Wim Hof, I mean, he was a record for a half marathon barefoot with no shirt on in the arc. <laughs> like, yeah, didn't he, go to, like, didn't he go to, like, base camp at Everest in shorts and, and T-shirt? I mean, shorts and shoes? He made it to base camp with no oxygen and just in a pair of shorts. Damn. And, you know, like, at first I was like, dude, you're crazy. And I read some of his stuff, and, and like everything, right? There's always the far left, the far right, and somewhere in yeah. the middle. You know, he has his reasons and his theories, and he's been through some traumatic, traumatic stuff. But once I sat in that cold, cold water for that, and I'm sure, Will, you feel the same way. Like, once you break the mind of telling you you're, you're going to die right here, the body's going to suffer way longer than the mind thinks it can. And right. I was like, well, now I know how you do this. Well, I think it was uh, David Goggins who said that we all, we always quit, quit at our 40%. Yeah. Um, you know, you only give 40% of what you actually have, and then your body's like, oh, this is too much. But you have to, you have to push past that, and um, we're we are capable of a lot more than what we think we are. But some some people will argue that everybody quits at one percent. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at so. the uh, look at the four minute mile, right? Prior to that guy was in 1945 or something. It was Roger Bannister was the first guy to run the four minute mile. 
no one thought it was possible. Everybody's like, your heart will explode and you will die. And now it's like, it's like anything. And you know, this, that dude just broke the two hour mark on a marathon. You watch that's going to become the standard five years from now. If you're not doing a two hour marathon, you're not competitive. It's crazy. It is. And the body can get pushed. And it's my favorite Ryan Steinhoff from foundation fitness told me this. He goes, cause you know, minute workouts, the high intensity interval training stuff is he's like, you will pass out before you die. I promise anybody can do anything for a minute. And I love that quote. It's the truth, right? Like, yeah. do something for a minute and then do it again for another minute. And then and it's, but what is it? It's breaking the mental mm-hmm. barriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the same I remember, uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, there was someone who was asking me advice on endurance stuff. They were going to do a 70 mile paddle. And uh, I was like, well, you can paddle a mile, right? It's like, yeah. All right. We'll just do it 70 times. 100%. It's, it's just, it's just all about how you think of think of it. If you think of seventy miles all in one chunk, yeah, that's gonna suck. But if you like, oh, one mile, seventy times, all right. So true, man. So true. It's the little <laughs> gains. If you give your mind something to to make you quit, which is oh my god, seventy miles. How can you like Chattajack was that prime example? I'll never forget. Like once I got to the pothouse, so from like mile fourteen to twenty two was the hardest part and I just legitimately sat down and went back to my yoga breath and I was like dude think of three things you're grateful for and I'm like okay I'm grateful to be alive I'm grateful to be in Tennessee and next thing you know I was at mile 22 and I was like ah oh, you know but when I was looking Which at the watch yeah no, go ahead sorry I didn't mean to no no it's, it was that that piece right was yeah how I broke through mentally because it sucks at that point you're like I'm so far away I've used that grateful mentality before as well you, you you really have to when you're looking at the dark depths of things and you're just like ah fuck this sucks but yeah I mean, like you said I'm, I'm grateful for this i'm grateful for that and then if you just focus on something positive you can get through the negative yeah and the beautiful thing about doing that stuff too is is once you you know you start out with 10 miles and it's like oh man i can't do 10 miles you do 10 miles and all of a sudden that's your benchmark it's like oh, i can do 10 miles and then you do 20 miles and all of a sudden it's like oh man i can do 20 miles and i think that's the key right is is just doing the thing and then all of a sudden you you realize that your potential is so much greater than you once thought it was and not only that i, I think when you complete something like that you know, I, I don't think I've ever DNF'd on anything like that yet, but I, I can't imagine, like, I sit with the pride that I have from doing things like Chad Jack and Molokai and Yukon, and that's a sense of, like, there were days in, when Will and I did Yukon that were, like, probably some of the worst feeling physically I've ever felt in my life, but when you push through that, you have this life, this sense of accomplishment and pride that you carry with you for the rest of your life, and I couldn't imagine the the shame or the or the feeling of failure that you must carry like if you set out to do something like that and then you just quit because it's uncomfortable then you got to carry this burden the rest of your life like man if i would have done a b c d e but instead you see it through and all of a sudden it's just like man you get to wear that badge forever it's pretty awesome it is and and you know i think for a lot of us and speak from us mass was like quitting has never been an option you know what <laughs> no, i mean like, no. Okay, it's friggin' 30 degrees and sleeting rain. I'm going to Boston. Like, I, yeah, I'm going to do donuts on the highway, but we're going. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like... Like a couple of weeks ago when I had to take Patrick to the airport. 
Yeah. That's it. You go. It's like, let's go. There's no choice. There's no maybe. There's no, we're going. No, no. And I didn't mean that as, as that should be your sole motivation to do something like that, to just to have the, the badge, but the part, the part prior to that of setting a benchmark for yourself and changing your, your definition of what is possible in your own mind is, is the reason to do those things. Because then all of a sudden little things like the store being out of your favorite vegan dressing is not such a big deal anymore. Right. It's like, Oh yeah, whatever. That is the truth. It keeps you how to adapt to anything that's dealt your way. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. It is. It's, and that's, you know, to me, when we talked about the sport and everything else, I, I feel that that's what's got me back invigorated and excited is meeting people that have no idea what the Battle of Paddle meeting people that don't even know what the Salt Creek shenanigans were when we paddled into a four to six foot shore break or even the Pacific Paddle Games and surfing a wave with 30 people. Like those people don't understand that and they never comprehend it. And now here we are, you know, we can get them in excited through a through something like Chattajack, which to me is way more mentally challenging of feet than going to Doheny and catching a a soft waist high wave or chest high wave with yeah. friends, you know. But people don't realize that; they don't understand that if you can do Chattajack, there's probably not many races out there that you you can't do if you yep. put the train the training and educate yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I think I think. The beautiful thing about Chattajack, and probably, and we've said this in other in other times, but I think the beauty of that race is that it gives you what you just talked about in a very user-friendly environment, right? Like a Catalina Crossing, that's a big fucking deal. And races like that where you're kind of exposed in a crossing situation. But the great thing about Chattajack is you get that, like, world-class endurance event, but it's also in a very safe, controlled environment where if shit does go wrong, you're not going to be in a big pile of shit you just you can you know go to the shore and someone's going to be there to bail you out which is pretty amazing well and that's the support right that's the beauty and you know what this sport i think has done for all of us is the community aspect totally you know the people that are willing to you know to have my friends pat me in the back and be like you can do chatter jack on your belly i don't care if you've ever paddled before like that is what started you know back in 2011 having my buddy ned johnson telling me hey dude you can race this race i'm like "Mm, not a surf you know, and that it just, and that's what the exciting part and that is still alive and well. And, you know, I know we briefly touched upon this just because the pro tour is kind of having its struggles, the, the participation in the entry level stuff is through the roof. And, wow. you know, seeing people get in a stand up five years ago and now have a Sersky, an OC, a prone board, you know, every I know, I know. Everybody wants to do all yeah. the things, which is so cool. That's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, to be able to say, hey, I can do whatever I want on the water because of stand-up paddling. And I think from a business standpoint, we sometimes get nearsighted, like, oh, our sales are down, this and that. Yeah, you're right. But people are active and healthy, and that's what started the sport. That's it. That's it. And two, just one mention of the community is, I know I've thanked you a thousand times, but, I mean, this is a perfect example of the community of three years ago, Chattajack, when it was... 40 degrees and raining and I was going down. That was probably the closest I've ever come to like going unconscious at a race. And I looked up and there you were on a paddleboard and like, dude, I need your jacket. And you're like, go, 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 man. Keep paddling. I'll get you. I'll get you. And you came up behind me, took your jacket off, gave me your jacket, helped me put it on. Dude, you saved my day. Like literally an hour later, I was back in the game, back warm, 
and it saved my race, man. And that's that to me is what it's all about. Yeah, and that you know to me, like people have done it for all of us so many times over, and it wasn't even a question of, hey, I'm gonna be cold, or I'm not gonna get the best selfie out here. Like it was like, okay, Patrick's in a shitstorm right now, I need to get him this. And yeah, dude, that was incredible, man. It was like a little angel had paddled over on the paddleboard. <laughs> Well, that that's was what really that cool, man. It, it motivated me to, to one day, because I'm like, I do not have the desire to paddle ever more than three hours. And everybody's like, you need to do it. You need to do it. I'm like, absolutely not. I, no, thank you. I'll and then try it on a prone. Yeah, and then I'm like. Which is like 10 hours for stand-up. Ha! <laughs> uh, you know. The mass hole came out. That's right, man. One person said I couldn't. I was like, oh, yeah? Well, watch this. Watch this. Or as they say, hold my beer. Yeah, hold my beer. I'm gonna send it. So on the opposite end of uh, on the opposite end of the cold therapy, um, being up in up in Mass, you doing any sauna stuff or heat stuff, or do you have availability to that? I don't have availability. I haven't. I used to always get in the sauna. I love it. Um, you know, and and we have a jacuzzi here. Sometimes I jump into it, but I actually haven't done too much of it. Um, you know, like I said, I kind of dove back in and, and I've just been getting little bits of information kind of tossed at me and educate myself. And, and so that will be the next piece to come into it. I, I mean, I truly do love a sauna, like sauna, even before I knew any about this stuff, I loved it. You know, and my dad has always loved it. So nice. There's a book on, on all of these topics that I just, Chris Begg, our last guest kind of put it across our radar last week, but it's called lifespan by David Sinclair. Okay. And it's, it's kind of. It's a book, I guess the, the general topic of it, if you were to kind of condense it into one thing, is he's trying to get people to not only live a longer life, but have the quality of life be good to the end and not have try to get rid of all this degenerative stuff that happens later in life. And I'm only a little ways into it, but all these things are coming on, like intermittent fasting, heat therapy, cold therapy, and there's something that it does to our survival genes, right? Like this cold shock kicks our survival genes into into action and that kind of reinvigorates them and gets them stronger again so i think it's way more than inflammation and all that stuff but if you get a chance to read it it's pretty short money and, and it's uh so far it's really good no, the, yeah please do because i mean that's the stuff and you know you hit so many beautiful things like intermittent fasting like it, there's so many benefits and the problem is is as a society and, and you know not to get all crazy on it but like we've been trained to eat and eat addictive foods and to not treat ourselves well and i mean hey don't get me wrong like i love some new england chinese food right but like the reality is <laughs> if you want to live to 100 you know like you can't have an egg roll seven days a week like you got to be yeah. strategic and smart and yeah uh, intermittent fasting has i used to bonk every carolina cup like full-on no matter how great a shape, for whatever reason, I would lose my mind at Carolina Cup, have a great first 90 minutes, and then when I hit the ocean, I would fall apart. And it happened every year until this year. And I started focusing on active fasting, you know, intermittent fasting. And I was like, in active fasting, all the aspects of it. And I taught my body that, like, okay, dude, stop eating carbs seven days a week. Like, you're just spiking your blood sugars. You're always tired. You know, and then I integrated that. So like, you know, I would fast for weeks leading up to races, like even Shadowjack, like fast because your body only needs a little bit of stuff. But if you spike it all the time, that's when we put ourselves in a bad place. Right, right. 
different fuel sources too, right? It starts to learn to run on that short-term sugar and they just blow up. And it forgets about the fats, which we have plenty of that, no matter how, yeah. food, you know, and the, once you get it eating the fats, you know, that's that, that beautiful aspect. And yeah, that's kind of really pure energy, that fat yeah. stuff. So it's, um, just, this is a question I asked Chris Begg on our last show was, uh, do you have any books that you would recommend? If you had, if you could recommend one book, what would it be? Oh man, I listened to it today and on Friday. So I am not a big reader. I read blogs and like, I'll do five, 10 minute reads in the morning. I'll probably read for an hour, but I'm an audible guy and I have, and so every car ride, it's either a podcast or an audible book and the alchemist, the alchemist. It's that so that uh that was on Chris Begg's shelf actually it's on my shelf I would also I got it here too perfect and that's the book I mean it, there's so and I every time I listen to it there's always a new like oh I didn't even hear that the last 19 times I've listened to it and it's a it's a special one to me I think it's such a motivator and it, it's a really good book on society that I love to just share with other people that may have may, may not even be in our spectrum of athletics and crazy water sports, but just it everything. Over, yeah. Cool. That's super cool. You know, what we need to do is, uh, you know, have a bunch of links and stuff to each episode. I think as we go forward with this, we should, you know, have a link to the, the Alch where you can get the alchemist book and what it is and all this other stuff we're talking about. Cause it's, I, mean, I can talk for days, man, about all what we're talking about here. I'm, over I'm some with, beards. Over some beards, kid. <laughs> in search of our personal legend. Nice. Uh, in uh, in kind of shifting away from cold therapy, uh, I noticed on your social media you were doing some stuff with CBD. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be a hot topic recently. Um, you want to just talk about maybe what what CBD products you're using now how uh, how they've benefited you, what changes you've seen. Because um, I, I started using CBD lotion, like muscle rub, uh, last year. And I, I've noticed quite a difference just just in recovery and, and how joints will feel and things like that. Um, sleeping's a little bit better when I use it. Um, so I, what are your thoughts on, on CBD? Yeah, CBD, you know, and it's, I always put the asterisk on there, like to tell everybody, do your research. Like I've spent, I've probably spent as much time researching the benefits of CBD um, than anything else. And the reason why is if I'm going to stand behind something and tell people about it, like, yes, I have my personal experiences, which has been beneficial, but now learning and, you know, the biggest takeaways that I have on it is the dosage and the dosage can be a really loaded and financial burden. So knowing what you take. So right now I currently take between 90 milligrams and 120 milligrams per day. Um, you know, I've taken a bunch of different brands. I started to work with, um, through a guy named Josh Smart, who's a paddler, um, introduced me to this company out of Salt Lake city called when I, and I've been really enjoying their products and the, the, the information I've received back from friends using it has been really solid as well. Um, my favorite was getting my dad on it who thought I was trying to get him on some hippie remedy and <laughs> be under a teepee, you know, with a peace pipe. And isn't it funny how, uh, <laughs> parents from new England, uh, just go to that hippie oh, remedy, uh, oh, yeah. 
spectrum as soon as you're like, oh, well, try this. This might help you. It seems like anything that might help them is just a hippie remedy. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> but, it doesn't matter if it's CBD related or not. It's, it's a hippie remedy. <laughs> well, I started them on yoga and that was the, the beauty thing. So I'm like, oh, I got them doing this shit. Okay. I can segue into it. And my sister and, and both of them started taking it. And their biggest concern was the psychoactive side of CBD, which I tell everybody, I'm like, you're not going to get high and eat four loaves of bread and two bags <laughs> of burrito. Like, that is not going to happen. If you are, you got the wrong stuff, so you send it back. But, you know, and, and I'm always like, and be careful if you do have to take drug tests, you can have false positives. So you got to be really careful on, on what you're doing with it. But, you know, I preface all that, and I gave it to my sister and my dad, and I wasn't home one day. My sister texted me. She's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? She's like, Dad just told me that CBD works. I was like, what? Perfect. And it was for his arthritis in his hands was the biggest takeaway. Wow. And he's like, I didn't take it for a month and my hands were killing me. And now I'm back on it. And I feel great. You know, he's golfing all the time. And he's like, so he's telling all the guys that he golfs with, you know, he's retired now. So I'm like, you're the best sales rep I got. <laughs> and they're all saying, what, is this some kind of hippie remedy? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then got another one, a believer that's into it. And so now they're all talking about yoga and CBD here in, you know, Central Mass. So I'm, I'm feeling like I'm starting a cult movement. But for me personally, to answer your question, I've noticed re a major reduction in stress and anxiety. And, you know, I wrote a couple blogs about it, but I tell people, like, when we talk about the word anxiety and depression, like everybody thinks you're going to jump off the Tobin. I'm like, no, man, like that, that's not every person. You know what I mean? Yes. There is a really dark side of it, but like growing up in New England, like I remember dark days just because we haven't seen the sun in friggin' six weeks, yep. you know? And, and so it's been really helpful to kind of keep me focused <laughs> in the moment and then to get me, you know, daily yoga outside on a hike, snowshoeing. Um, and then from the recovery side, like my main thing, I'll probably, you know, if, if I get the Olympic drug test, I'll probably fail. But um, I took it. That was my, that was my go-to for Chattajack. I think I took 120 milligrams throughout the race. So I had CBD and my perpetuum and every 35, 40 minutes, I was just taking care of things. For, uh, for our non-mass hole listeners, could you, one of you guys clarify what the Tobin is when you referred to jumping off the Tobin? It's, it's the Tobin bridge. Uh, it's a pretty dark, depressing place. <laughs> and it's, and it, and it's, it's north of Boston heading towards the North shore, right? Or was it that new big cable one? No, it's a, uh, it's going it's that into, ratty ass one that it's, goes it's going right Charleston, right it's going yeah. right into boston yeah yep. beautiful blue it goes from uh from chelsea which is a glorious up and coming place of positivity right into uh boston and then it leads you into uh 93 traffic route 93 traffic so you pretty much sit on the tobin for a long long time contemplating life usually uh, because it's just an outdated uh, piece of infrastructure leading yeah, you into more outdated infrastructure in, in Boston. And they because <laughs> you, you look at the city for hours on this two-lane rickety bridge that you're like, man, maybe it's just going to fall apart for me and take care of everything. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not as uh, beautiful and wide as the Golden Gate, but... Um, <laughs> Every bit is glorious. And don't come to Boston and go to the Tobin, please. Like, that's yeah. not the whole <laughs> No one has ever said, oh, I want to go to Boston and check out the Tobin Bridge. <laughs> so segueing off that um, yoga thing, what's uh, what's up with the Wanderlust Fest, man? How's, what's your involvement in that? What is it exactly? Yeah, Wanderlust has been a really awesome one. I started in uh, 2012 with them, and 
just helping set up the event. I wasn't even, I was only an active yoga practitioner and then it blossomed into, um, you know, setting up their program. And then I ended up becoming a, an assistant manager for the last few years, working with some, some great people. And, you know, we would hit six stops throughout North America. Um, from, we did Turtle Bay on the North Shore of Oahu. We did, um, Snowshoe, West Virginia, Stratton, Vermont, wow. uh, Squaw Valley, uh, Whistler, BC, and Tremblant, Quebec. Um, but like, I think everything we're seeing in our world uh, this year, they're really pulling back and they're only going to have a few small events. So we're not going to do the full poll like we did last year. Um, but for me, and it's been an amazing run and I've met more just awesome human beings all over, all over the North America. And, and what tried- is it exactly? So it's a mindfulness festival, for lack of a better term. So um, basically, they wanted a platform to showcase really good up-and-coming music, uh, the healthy mindfulness aspect of wellness. Um, so they started with yoga classes for all levels, and we did stand-up paddleboard yoga was, was my main piece. Uh, and then as a transition, they started adding fitness classes. So they did some high-intensity interval classes. They did some trail runs, hikes. They went over uh, foraging, so you like you had Squaw Valley up, and, and this guy's teaching you like, oh, gal, you, you can eat this fern, or don't eat that one. And so they wow. just encompassed a really radical part, you know. And, and it's always in ski resorts minus Turtle Bay during the summer months, which was always just breathtaking and super fun. That's amazing. Yeah. What, Patrick, you know, have you done much yoga? You know what I've done? Um, I've probably done less than 20 classes in my whole life someone someone told me uh my friend's wife who i just spent the weekend with um i took a class with her once and she and numerous people have told me this and they said you just need to find the right teacher and the teachers that i've had either have been like to boot camp and it's just like oh my god i'm gonna die this is so fucking hard or way too easy like the longest running one i did was kind of this uh I wouldn't say it was old folks, but it was a it was a mature individuals class on Martha's Vineyard that I did for. I probably <laughs> went for uh, once a week for a couple months, and it, it was good, but it and but it was way more my speed, but it wasn't enough. So it was either like the too the too gnarly or the not enough. And I guess I just haven't one I haven't given it a chance, but two I haven't found that that right instructor or environment. You know, I think I'm open to it. And I mean, I stretch every day, and um, but I don't, I don't do the rest of what yoga is, you know. So um, I, I definitely, no, I don't do that much. Yeah, I will completely agree with you that it's you have to find the right instructor, and I don't think I've found the right instructor either. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't been to that many yoga classes, but. Um, I did go to a yoga class on Saturday. That went pretty well. So I might go again this Saturday. Um, the last one I did was one of those hot classes. Man. I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley in California, which got like you know, summertime. It wasn't uncommon, 102, 104, but it's dry heat. And we were in this like, man, I was, I looked down and I was like, I could have done laps in my sweat, man. It was so gnarly. So you're not alone, and, and I fully agree, and that's what I lucked out. Like, I kind of was doing yoga, and uh, it always works out this way. Uh, a very nice female friend of mine was like, come to yoga with me. I was like, sure, anything you want. And I walked <laughs> into this class, got my ass handed to me, 
But at that time, like I was looking for a workout, like I was done doing the gym and I got into the power heated, but the teacher was so fun, you know, like, and, and Timmy Howard's a dear friend of mine to this day. And she, her whole philosophy was making it fun. Like you would sing in class, you would swear, wow. you know, you'd sweat, you know, and like sometimes a 90 minute class would be two hours or two and a half, like, and, but I was every time I made myself go there because I enjoyed it. And, and that's the whole key is finding and connecting with that teacher. And sometimes you know, when you live on an island or you're in these spots, like here in Central and Winchenden, like it's really challenging to find that person that can really motivate me and get me there. And what yeah. changed it for me was becoming a teacher and learning how to do my own sequencing. That's cool. Nobody can teach you how to do yoga better than yourself, right? Because I'm like, and now this after years of practicing, like, okay, my hips are sore. I need to do this, this, and this. Or, you know, I mean, it gets into the hippie side, but like, oh, I'm feeling blocked when I'm writing or talking. Okay, I need to open up my chakras. And, because we're the energy system, and that's where this whole yoga thing mm-hmm. kind of really ties into it. And my catch to those people that are like, yeah, dude, you're a hippie. Like, anybody that fishes, if you start looking at the way the moon cycles affects fishing, then you start to be, oh, I can think like a hippie. Like, because, you know, that was the biggest thing. I went out fishing one day on a full moon, and I slayed it. And I was like, and the next day it sucked, you know. I was like, what? I was like, oh, my God. They're just like us you know, the ebb and flows, the ties, and I'm like, oh, wow. so. Does your competitive side come out with yoga? Because I think that's one one issue I have is that I, I have a big problem dampening down that competitive side. And, um, like, even, even on Saturday, like, I think in the middle of the class in my head, I was like, I am yogaing the shit out of this class. <laughs> and there's just, like, this this competitive thing in me and I just can't I can't hold it down when I'm trying to do the yoga and so I'm still competitive like I'm looking around being like yeah I'm doing better yoga than that guy and that guy and like so I feel like that's a something that's holding my yoga back it happens but I will tell you this when you go to a yoga class and it's filled with women in their mid 40s to early 60s and they're all doing one hand handstands and they weigh 108 pounds and you can't even get your ass up then you kind of go okay they win okay what do I need to do and that was where I got super humbled and started realizing the benefits of blocks and like okay yoga journey is going to take me years to be able to touch my toes never mind do a damn handstand and that aspect side and and it's funny because my favorite thing I used to do was bring all these badass racers to my yoga classes and I'd bring them to a hot yoga class and dude in the first like 25 minutes I'm like yo slow down you're going too hard and they're just like I got this and then 30 (laughs) minutes later they're like puddles you know and like I'm like okay you go outside get some fresh air come back in you're gonna pass out I think another another problem I have is that um, I've had multiple yoga teachers and multiple um, body work people tell me that I can't relax. Um, so like our, our good friend Lauren, she used to tell me all the time, like, you just need to let go. <laughs> and I just, I, I can't let go. <laughs> like, it's hard. Like I'll, I'll be in the middle of like uh, a, a relaxive massage and the person working on me is just like, you just, you need to, you need to relax. I can't relax. Sorry. Like massages aren't supposed to be relaxing. They're supposed to be painful. And, and so I think that's another part of my problem. It's just, I can't but relax. That's, 
what you're doing with the ice bath is going to teach you that because if you go into the ice bath all tense and all not breathing and it legitimately goes back and we started into this whole thing is the breath. If you start just really focusing on your exhale, your body will let go. And one of my favorite things I'll never forget, like my hips were so tight and I was sitting in a pose and they legit released and it felt like 10,000 pounds, like just fell off of me and like stress and everything else had like just went all away. It's because we hold on, we're holding on to things. And my favorite analogy is if you hold on to anything super tight for long, like your hand gets tired, but this doesn't get tired. So it's like mm. how much energy we waste holding on to relationships, business inventions, you know, ego things like, you know, and that's the whole thing of once you let go and make space, then the body starts to go, Oh, I feel safe. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to, uh, instead of speaking as that's a hippie thing as a derogatory thing, maybe we need to flip that and start saying, and that's a townie thing. <laughs> like, it's like, I think we're on the right path, man. Hit me nothing, dude. That's like, that's like you're tapping into what it's really all about, man. Life, life, and just being alive. And you know, why is that a hippie thing? It's so crazy. Well, it's, it's and what's happening, and now through CBD, and now through yoga. Like I've had like grown ass beast construction where friends of mine. So I spent a lot of my life in that industry reach out to me. Hey man, I'm having a tough time with my anxiety. What can you do? What can you help? And I'm like, well, a like CBD will can help, but just know there's, you know, don't look at a pill to change everything. Like it starts with your diet starts with what's your daily routine. Like next to time, the guy in front of you cuts you off on the Tobin, like relax <laughs> and let him go. Like just freaking breathe, man. Like yeah. once that starts happening, because now we're letting go, like, does it really, does that guy cutting us off affect our day and the reality? Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, and probably in a, like another 15 minutes, we're going to have to cut somebody else off. So if you give and you extend that kindness, now you're not holding on to the stress and negative energy. You're holding on to the goodness and it all comes back. That's awesome. So that's, I like, that's I like it. The mass old hippie. Yeah, man. A little edge, but soft. What are we doing on time? Well, doing great. Are you good? Doing great. So, so to, to, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to save it for a last question, but just on the whole hippie thing, man, and listening to your, your view on life, it's like, what, I mean, we're all kind of searching, but what do you see? Like, I'm not going to say dream job, all that. It's like, what is your ideal life? Like, if, if you were to look, with tens across the board, like relationships, business, fitness, everything. Like, what do you see as like for you in the future or in the present, whatever, but like, what, what is your idea of your ideal life? I'm not going to say perfect because there is no such a thing, but like, you know, if, if you had to choose something to, I mean, we all got to make money, you know, it's just part of the society we live in that, that keeps us from having to hunt and grow vegetables in the winter time. And, and Fred Flintstone it around the tobe over the Tobin with a rock wheeled car. But uh what's your uh so what's your idea, man? Like if if you could if you were walking your true path, what would that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, like the the journey that the biggest eye opening experience and I'll I'll never forget is like two thousand nine, moved to Orlando, got into wakeboarding, was hanging out with a really good friend. She became pro wakeboarder and her career was going to bring her to Southern California. And I'll never forget it. She's like, I'm moving to Southern California. You coming? I'm like, absolutely not. It's too far. 
I just got done a stint for nine months in Colorado. I was like, I can't be that far away from the fam. Like, and then what happened is, is I've kind of manifested, like I need to be in the water sports industry. I was focused on wakeboarding, stumbled into SUP. And then I kind of made some goals of like, I want to work in the SUP industry once I got hooked on it. And so that was 2011. And basically it, I was so open to anything and everything. It morphed into this massive thing. And so now today I've kind of changed some directions and, you know, I, I love the biggest message that I'm looking at now is sharing like this positivity because I came from a small town. I had no idea about breath work and breath holds and breathing and yoga and sharing that with, with friends, you know, that who their way of stress release, like mine used to be is having a six pack on the drive home because Hey, you numb the pain, you know, and, and teaching people, like we talked about earlier, how we can live healthy and longer. And so whether you're playing with your kids or whether you're the kickball coach or the soccer coach, whatever it may be, you can do anything out there while taking the edge off and being stressful. So one of my really big things that I'm really trying to work towards getting is, is to, to be able to share this message and, and this information on a, on a larger platform, you know, so I'm truly honored to be able to do it here with you guys on a podcast and, you know, ultimately one day speaking at places and cause I love to tell these stories and you sometimes like, yeah, thanks. It's, well, it's changed my world. Like I, yeah. when I left Boston and I was 28 years old and it was 2008, I was working as a project manager for a major construction company in Cambridge, but I was 28 aging as a 60 year old, like mm-hmm. mindfulness was not in the conversation, like running people off the road was, you know, like, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, like how unhealthy is that on many levels, like unhealthy for the person that I just put in the guardrail, but also for me holding that grudge for, I have no idea that person's story. Like he might've just got fired. You know what I mean? And Did they have so, fireball nips back then? Uh, that was new. <laughs> Dr. McGillicuddy's. Yeah. Anyways, I, didn't, I, didn't, I was just trying to throw a little humor in there, man, but it's. Yeah, I love it. That's what it was all about, you know? And, and yeah. that's what you just spoke upon is that now integrating that humor side. Like, hey, like, listen, if you got to drink a six pack on the ride home, I got you. Like, but don't yeah. forget to go home and breathe and hug the kids and tell me love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, keep raising the vibrations in a positive manner. And, you know, it's if I affect one person, Perfect. If I expect nobody, I'm going to keep talking, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here looking at you guys on the screen and Will and I have been uh, just kind of tossing the idea around about throwing together a Wicked Aloha kind of a retreat based around fitness and wellness. And, dude, you would – we got to do this, man. With you here, a certified yoga instructor and just your attitude and outlook and philosophy on things, man, we got to figure this shit out. We got to throw one somewhere, wherever it is. It well, is it's not... just. Go ahead, Will. I was gonna say it's just like, uh, just like how we got started today. Technology is working against us, but we figured it out. That's right. What'd you say in that text, Jeremy? You said, if something doesn't, it'll be much more fun if something goes wrong. Yeah, it's, it, it actually is all based upon an, an Yvonne Chouinard quote from Patagonia. Like he, when he does that movie of 180 degrees, he's like, it's the tr- everybody overuses the word adventure. A true adventure doesn't begin. And, until like the ship falls off the wagon, you know? And that's the reality. Like if we didn't have technical difficulties, then we're gonna have them at some point. Like how do you enjoy, how do you overcome those and make them into a positive and laugh about it? And that's the beauty of of where this at. And I love the Wicked Aloha, you know, retreat and idea. It's it's a piece of my life that I'm going to add because I really love sharing it. And you know, with Wanderlust now probably not happening for me as an instructor, like I need that out. And you know, I, I love where you guys are at and 
I have a really good friend that's been inspiring. I think it, it aligns with our Wicked Aloha. She ran a company. I met her years ago at our yoga teacher training um, through stand-up paddleboarding. She created a company called Namaste as Fuck. And I'll say that again? It's called Namaste as Fuck. Oh, no way. And, like, Cali girl, like, full-on, but NorCal Cali girl. And she has been a, a great cheerleader for me. And so I think we could do some Wicked Aloha, Namaste as Fuck. Swag. Resonates Namaste in Hawaii. Yeah, dude. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste shoveling. Uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Man, it's so, it's so empowering and so just satisfying to sit around and talk with you guys you know and just to be just hitting on good stuff man it's so easy to go down the, the black road of negativity and pessimism and no doubt there's bad shit in the world but it's there's so much good stuff and i think it's a choice to you know it's like watching the news you can watch all that stuff that's going on every day and it's like is it really going to affect my day-to-day because really your life is what you see through the lens of your eyes, you know, and, and your mind. And it's cool, man. We can bring more of this power into the world and this this good vibe. It's wicked aloha. And the must is fuck. Yeah, dude. That's and that's the beauty of all. And like I was so honored when you guys asked me about this. And it's it, you know, to go back into what you talked about, like the dream job is to be able to do stuff like this, you know, and yeah. to be able to like I said, it's always I've never been about quantity, it's always about quality. If I connect with one person and like, you know, my story about my dad using C B D and I've friends that are now taking cold showers that fought me on it. They're like, I don't do that and I'm like, Okay, I'm like, this is the benefits, you know, try it out. I'm like, if I'm wrong, like all good, like, but have you tried yeah. it? And now they're fully engaging into it and it's so funny how like quiet cult, you know, up upheaval is happening here and I think at the end of the day, it's just spreading the good vibes and, and raising the energy and yeah. sometimes having fireball nips. Yeah, well, yes, man, well, thanks for... Really well, sorry. I just said, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're just, you know, we're just getting this thing started and trying to figure it out, so I, there's not a whole lot of, like, street cred with the Wicked Aloha podcast, but our whole thing of it has just been... We started over analyzing it at the beginning of like, oh, we need this gear and that. And it's just like, you know what, man? Let's just sit down and talk to people with these freaking earbuds and just put it out there, man. Because people don't care about anything other than the quality of the content. You know, when you're talking to somebody that's engaged and and stoked about their life, I mean, who, who wouldn't want to listen to that? And that's the beauty of it now. You know, there's so many ways to take in the information. And it, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. And the beauty like we talked about in the beginning, what's the easiest way to not do it is to create a bunch of excuses. You guys are doing it. And I, I feel super confident it's going to blow up. And, you know, there's so many other topics outside of the sport that we could all dive into, but it, it you know, this stuff is, I think is the nectar of the soul, you know? Yeah. I think that's, we're trying to figure out kind of a formula, but I think it's the, the connection is through paddling, but the content is what we're talking about here. I mean, this is this kind of the gravy, you know? Well, and that's the beauty. It goes back to why we all started paddling was the community connection. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I think everybody we've always met, like we would drink beers with and, you know, talk stories about. And, and just because it happens to be on a microphone with a podcast, like this is real. This is what we actually do at every totally. event, you know? Totally, totally, man. Wow. Yeah, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, likewise thanks for the opportunity i'm stoked i'm sorry you guys are wearing winter clothes and well so are you (laughs) the only difference is it's Uh, cold here 
so Patrick, you're going to be in Hawaii soon. Yep, yes. Uh, Jeremy, are you going to be in Hawaii at any time this winter? I'm in the process of kind of building some trips. So I'm going to do a Caribbean trip and a South Florida trip coming up in January. Um, but I haven't got my schedule past January. So I have a feeling there, there'll be some warm day chasing ahead. So we'll, I'll make sure I'll keep you in the well, loop. If it, if it comes up, if it comes up, let us know. Maybe we can all be in the same place at the same time and we can do it again. Heck yeah. I like that. Hey man, there's plenty more to talk about. And uh, sure. I will I will seriously make some calls today and start looking into uh, the logistics of what it entailed to uh, organize a retreat. I'm at yeah. So, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I think it would be amazing. And not you know from no other reason than to just get a bunch of cool people together and and do a bunch of cool shit. Well, that's the thing. You know, we have the, all three of us come from such a unique perspective, but we all, we can provide so much to everybody. You know, it's yeah. And that's the beauty of it all, you know. Uh, yeah, just you two guys. I mean, the fitness side and the and the yoga mindfulness side are, are pretty much covered. I guess I could sit around and tell really bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need that, you know. Yeah, man. You could Balance. be our tech support. That's yeah. it. You got that diet. <laughs> oh my God, they'll never get started. Uh, that's why we do it in person. We don't have to. We we omit the tech aspect. Yeah, that, yeah, we, we could have gone two hours today instead of one one thirty. That's all right. There's always yeah. more to talk about. Totally. There is always more to talk about. So. Yeah, but, boys. Thank you so but, much. I truly appreciate okay. it. Thank Dude, you. Thank you, Jeremy. It was so Not, nice to sit with you and talk, brother. Likewise. Namaste in Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, we'll be in touch very soon. Please do. Thank you, guys. All right, brother. Let's do it. Aloha. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to follow Jeremy's adventures, you can find him on Instagram at jvane one That's J-V-A-I-N-E, the number one, or on his webpage, www.jeremyvane.com. That's J-E-R-A-M-I-E-V-A-I-N-E.com. And you can find us on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share the episode, send us some feedback, subscribe, and as always, keep moving forward. Much aloha, everyone.